Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to David Blair, the CTO at Andela, and we discuss the vibrant engineering culture being built across Africa, Andela's mission to connect brilliance, talent, and opportunity, and how seeking feedback from others will help in all aspects of growth. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So the first time I actually heard about you was from Mitesh from the Zebra. Do you do you know him personally? I do. I've spoken with him a few times. Um, the Zebra is one of our bigger accounts. Uh, they used they were the biggest at one point in Andela's uh, life cycle here as a as a startup. But um, yeah, I've I've spoken to him a few times. But I don't I don't know him that well. I mean, he's. He's in Austin, I believe. I'm. I know the Boston technology scene. That's where I'm originally from, and that's where I've had the lion's share of my professional career. So I know the Boston scene much better. Is that where you're at currently in Boston? Um, I am, um, but I've been living in Nairobi for the last two years. So with Andela, I moved to the continent of Africa. What's that been like? Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. I mean, and I think some of the questions are around, you know, why is Andel in Africa? But, and I can certainly answer that. It's, um, it's really interesting just from a personal observation perspective. It's, it's, there's a, there's a very strong dichotomy, right? In Nairobi, there's some very affluent communities and then there's the poorest of the poor. There's slums with a million people in them. Uh, who live on less than a dollar a day and, you know, and you might see those slums right up against, you know, a million dollar home. And you might, you know, see, you know, a Land Rover that costs a hundred thousand dollars. And then like Boda Boda, which is a motorcycle with like a goat on the back of it, or, you know, people walking barefoot. So I think from a life lessons perspective, it just gives you the perspective that, me personally, I've won the generic genetic lottery, right? Like being born into poverty is just something hard to climb out of. And, you know, my wife works in a slum, but it's been pretty amazing from a life perspective, from a, from a work perspective, I can certainly tell you more about like the hustle and like the talent and the ecosystem, which is a lot more vibrant. There's a narrative in a lot of people's head that, you know, Africa is sort of mud huts and, you know, people walking to the water spigot, you know, to the, to the, to the well to get water. And, that certainly is the case, but there's also like a really vibrant and robust startup scene. Technology is becoming very pervasive. There's tech hubs all over the continent that are really thriving. When when these uh, communities that are poor see these you know cities start to form, uh, do they do they have a lot of hustle and see that opportunity to go learn new skills and want to grow, or are they really in love with their current way of life and, and they're just happy with that? It really depends where you are. Like if you go up country, like out of the cities, people are happy, content. The village, the shamba, the the farm that they grew up on, great lifestyle. Like it's uh, like you don't have much, but you know you don't need much. You know the weather, the climate is nice. There's there's fresh vegetables being grown. You know you slaughter a chicken now and then. You know we spent some time on on a family farm up country over the holidays, and you know it can be pretty nice look people don't have a lot but then you know you get into some of the cities city centers and like you see this very much in nigeria like there is a huge hustle right mentality like hey i got a job i'm gonna have a side hustle and then a side hustle to that side hustle like i want to i want a better life and so people are really working hard to get that better life is that is that where you put your facilities yeah. So like, that's where Andela started. Andela started in Lagos, Nigeria, um, because one of the founders, uh, was from that area, but like, that is one of the, you know, Nigeria will be the third largest country population wise in 20 years after China, uh, and India. And, you know, they're already at 250 million and, you know, it's a very young population. So, uh, it's growing very quickly. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a there's a lot of positive energy and and hustle. 
and we're kind of talking around it a little bit because I yeah. happen to know Andela and I've been yeah. watching you guys for a couple of years, but can you give me like the 10,000 foot understanding of, of what the mission is and what you guys do? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the headline statement around Andela's mission and what we do is we really try to connect talent with opportunity. And, you know, that really means opening up the world job market to, uh, to people with a, uh, a lot of these characteristics of hustle, intelligence, brilliance, um, uh, and offering them the opportunity to get a better job and access and exposed to, to kind of in, in the engineering world, you know, more modern tech stack and better learning and professional and career development opportunities. And in the early days of Andela, it was very clear. We were a learning company that was trying to bring people with no skills, just a lot of aptitude that we screened for and, and high intelligence into the field of software engineering. And, you know, it was really an interesting ride. You got paid to join Andela and learn for the first nine months uh, working. And you came to a beautiful center with great internet, two meals a day, wonderful facility. And that model, we were producing engineers and then placing as remote engineers. And that model needed to change because we had placed a lot of junior engineers and, you know, the boot camps of the world were catching up. And if you're thinking about having a, a, a junior engineer join your team, you probably go with someone local that you can come in and sort of pay attention rather than a remote one. And that combination of remote and junior started to like, started to handicap us in a sense. And also our customers were saying, hey, look, we need more senior talent. We need more mid-level. We need more types of skills uh, than just what you're training your teams on. And so Andela has really evolved into much more of a marketplace, a talent marketplace where we find and cultivate uh, that talent to offer to engineering teams around the world. And so the mission of connecting talent or brilliance in the early days it was called brilliance with opportunity it's more talent now because it, we, we much we're, we're focusing on more kind of mid-level and senior engineers we also place a lot of junior engineers as well to to the opportunity to work with great companies like a github or uh, a facebook or a bbc or you know whereas a lot of engineers and having lived there you know one of the reasons why engineers come to andela is like their world has been say the central business district of Nairobi, where they go and work in a small branch of a bank and their engineering team is five people. And so their world is really just like, what do I know in Nairobi? Now their world becomes the world stage. And if I can prove myself and be a great engineer, I have much more opportunity. And so that's a big attraction for engineers to, to, to join Angela. It's just a great opportunity to, to work with a great company, have much more career mobility. I think there's another thing that goes on at Angela you know, just take that small company or, or, or that uh, engineer working in the central business district. You know, his world is the five engineers that he goes into the office with. Now you're part of Andela where there's a thousand engineers. And so your network becomes much bigger and uh, you have a lot more interaction with that network and you can find a mentor and you can get questions answered. And so there's some growth there. So, you know, there's a value prop to engineers to on the supply side to join Andela as we've evolved into more of a talent marketplace. And then also to our customers as well, like just hit the easy button for trying to find engineering talent. Like that's why I came to Andela, quite honestly, was the problem space. You know, I've been building engineering teams my entire life and I've tried every trick in the book to get engineers to join a team, you know, paying recruiters ridiculous amounts of money to like find you talent. Because, you know, what I've learned is recruiters don't help you just find the talent. They help you close the talent. When an engineer has like five offers, the recruiter who's doing their job well is helping you close them for, for you. Or like hosting meetups where like really the, you know, we'd host a meetup on like machine learning, but it was really sort of a ploy to like bring in engineers and try to get a few business cards and create some relationships or like following the local press to be like, hey, what companies are being acquired to go business. That's a great time where people reflect on their careers or maybe jumping ship or doing something different. And I would go chase them down. Right. And so it's just been, you know, ask any engineering leader, you're only as good as your talent. And so you're always trying to build the best team possible. So it's always a job. And it's a thankless one at that, to be quite honest, because until you, uh, you know, find that, that person and fill the role, like there's no, there's no half measures, right. You don't get partial credit. Right. 
And what we have learned as engineering leaders is like, look, you miss your roadmap because you don't have the team in place or you've had a job opening for nine months. So the problem space of finding talent in new and innovative ways is really what brought me to Andela. And, uh, and I think it's a, it's a big problem to solve and it's an interesting one. What's the story of the human side of, of how you got to Andela? Did you like connect through friends? Did you run into them at a cafe? Yeah, no, it's a, um, well, there's, you know, there's something about serendipity in life, right? There, there is a personal side of the story of how I ended up in Andela, not just the problem space, um, but um, my wife has a degree in global health and she wanted, she spent some time in Africa working on HIV and she ever, ever since that time before we had our family, she wanted to go back. And, and we felt like there was a time in our life and that was about two and a half years ago where we said, Hey, should we go do this? Our kids are still young enough. And we sort of made a life decision, a pact to ourselves. We said, Hey, whoever finds the job first, the other will follow. And, uh, and she was, she was making progress and, uh, and, uh, you know, I joke with her, she was finding an opportunity, setting up some field clinic, like really out away from the urban centers, like in the bush. And I was like, I got to get going. I got to, I got to, <laughs> I got to get up. And so, look, I was, uh, I had, uh, the company I was at, the startup had been acquired by Barracuda Networks. I had moved on. I was working with tech stars. I was mentoring and, and having a great time seeing some different types of tech companies uh, and, you know, through my network, I got introduced to Jeremy, the CEO. And, you know, as I talked to Jeremy about my background, about uh, helping companies become more product-led, about having run remote engineering teams, about having a point of view that the role of technology is to create business value. He was like, can you come down to New York next week and interview? And so, like, it just, the relationship started from there. And, and it was really... Technology at Andela had really been thought of as really just part of the CIO function, part of like IT. And that's when we started to get serious about, hey, we need to build systems and technology to scale our business. Like, how do we automate processes? How do we simplify things as we scale? How do we have a database about our talents that is searchable and can do things like matching automatically and you know at the time we were very learning focused and like learning management systems at the time were all very vanilla and like if you wanted something for a software engineer you probably you needed to kind of customize it and so we had a really interesting path towards building some learning technology but as we've focused more on the talent marketplace update that became lesser but there was a realization that if Andela wanted to get to the next level we needed we needed technology and product to 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 be a part of that story so yeah, so uh, there was some life life in there of like looking for a job in Africa, but you know I had some opportunities at three other companies to get to Africa, but it was the problem space ultimately that brought me to Andela. So and and was attract attracted me to why why join this startup. And congratulations for not ending up in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> that might not have been a bad thing, but uh, you know. Uh, it uh, it would have been a different element. I probably would have been homeschooling my children. It would have been more of a sabbatical. And, you know, I would have, you know, some fantastic life stories, but I'm not sure if I would have been uh, the best tech professional. So things lined up. So when, when COVID happened, did you have to like come back to the States? Yeah. So that's really where we are right now. I'm in the States right now. Um, there was, uh, you know, look, this is probably getting off track a little bit, but where I live in Kenya, you know, there's 60 million people, there's 150 ICU beds in the entire country. And so like with a pandemic looming, where should you be? And there was also like the agency of like the airspace was shutting down. It might be better to be closer to home in case anything happened. And and so we did come home during the shutdown. And so, uh, yeah. And so that was the pandemic had kind of brought our chapter there to an end a little bit premature, but we did have we did have impact. And then there were some other things like part of Andela's business model has changed where we've gone all remote. We have been doing remote, uh, placing remote engineers the entire life of the company. And we realized, hey, why don't we just do this as a business? We have no idea when we can go back because of COVID into our offices. And, and like we should probably make this change uh, across all of the operations, not just the engineers supporting our customers. And so that was a decision we took. So there was less reason to go back. I didn't have an office to go to. 
Now, I want to talk a little bit about you because I was I was doing my research with my team and I thought it was so cool that in college or right out of college, you got to work on like supersonic jets, NASA, boosters, yeah. all sorts of, like, how did you not stay there? Like, how did you? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. And like, people are like, how'd you end up in software? I'm actually a mechanical engineer by training. I went to Stanford and my first job was really working as a mechanical engineer, a designer. I was building, I was in the machine shop building stuff. I was working on NASA programs. I was working for a very small sciences company that had a lot of government contracts. And yeah, we were we were shining lasers on the inside of the rocket boosters of the space shuttle to look for phosphorescence uh, because when uh, when they shoot the rockets up, the, 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 the rockets land in the ocean, they start to rust. And then what they do is when they put them in storage, they lather them up with grease. And if you don't get all the grease off, the lining of that uh, disbonds and you can have the, the rockets putting the space shuttle into orbit blow up. And that's happened on unmanned ones. And so we had a program where we were putting those rockets on turntables, those, those, those tubes and like shining lasers on and looking for using lasers to show phosphorescence and picking that up. And then we'd go scrub them down. And, you know, there were some cool things like that, right? Working with lasers and building things. And we were building sensors that looked at, uh, at toxic, uh, toxic waste from airplanes. And it was very cool and it was innovative, but what I realized was it wasn't real because a lot of the projects were small and as soon as they were turned over to the government, they were scrapped. They were scrapped for parts. And there was no, like, I didn't get to see the follow through and the execution of turning this kind of more raw basic science into product. And like, uh, you know, I'm a product guy at the end of the day. And so I ended up going to a company that was really at the forefront of computer aided design. It was disrupting the entire industry a company called parametric technology or PTC. And it's a big IOT type company right now, but it, it really moved uh, CAD to kind of 3d and the idea of, you know, you could see it on the computer and you could see uh, how much it weighed and where things interfered. And like, it was just a revolutionary thing. And then I spent the next part of my career going to Caterpillar, Airbus, Ferrari, John Deere, like all these fantastic companies around the world, just helping them kind of re-engineer with modern technology and change processes and customize the software. And, and, uh, and, I, and I got into software development that way and did programming and did product. And ultimately I resonated uh, I realized that the value of technology is to create value. And, and, and I was in the field all the time, understanding business requirements. And like, I'm like, look, this is, this is gold. We need to turn this into the value prop and, and really execute on solving these problems. And so as a CTO, there's a spectrum. There's CTOs on the, on one end that are very technical. They have a bunch of architects working for them. They care about, you know, the database and, and all the core uh, elements of the software stack or they're more, and I lean towards the other side of the spectrum, which is much more connecting the technology to the problems you need to solve to help the business be better. And so like, I'm much more of a product focused uh, CTO than uh, architecture type focused CTO. Yeah, I've, I've experimented with that spectrum and have gotten to see so many different types of people. And what the, the recurring pattern I see is, you know, people not being or I'd say they ask me like if it's a problem what they're doing what they're doing with the CTO title, right? With here's my responsibilities. Is is this a problem? And I'm always like, no, it's it is the spectrum, and the problems only come up when you're not aware of where you're at in the spectrum, and some of your gaps go unfilled, right? Because the business needs certain things, so you having an understanding of what that is and where you sit and what you want to do, and then making sure that the business is being taken care of because. If you have a C in that title, you're you're a chief and you're one of the people that's responsible for the success of the business. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's a good observation. So I actually was uh, got this uh, email this morning about this new passenger jet that they're doing, the supersonic passenger jet. I don't know if you're still following that stuff, but I thought it was good timing. But they, they called it um, Boom. They, they named the jet Boom. And for some reason that just like, didn't sound right to me because that's the I don't want explosions associated with my supersonic air travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the sonic boom, I guess, is what they're playing on. There, I know, yeah. I know, uh, but it's, uh, it's still put that image in my head, yeah, right? I know. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where uh, you know maybe not the right marketing person got involved in the naming of that, <laughs> right? Because it's fun for the engineers. Like I totally yeah. get it, right? But you're selling tickets, 
This right. is a this is a, a commercial passenger supersonic yeah. jet, and Absolutely. I don't know how, how excited the public is to buy tickets for uh, Boom. But. I agree. Hey, look, maybe it was a code name that never uh, never got passed. <laughs> I know engineers love code names, and you know everyone wants to. You know, every service has its own little unique code name, and uh, maybe that's one that got away from uh, the designers of this plane. But the typography looked good. The branding looked excellent. Right. If you're going right. to go boom, right. that's the right. most beautiful way to go boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, look, design is critical to building product these days, and you have to have great design to stand out. So it sounds like you recognized it. I'm, I'm curious a little bit. You sound like a, a person that would be fun to talk about the future with. And one thing that I can't help but think about is this, you know, because my background, software engineer, 17 years, then did this podcast and due to the busyness of this podcast, I haven't been developing as much, but I still run a, run a team of developers. But uh, I kind of lost track of my thought there. <laughs> the future. The future. The future. What, how are you thinking about the future? Yes, that's the beauty of the show. It's unscripted, but things like that <laughs> happen. <laughs> but I can't help but think about how in the future, AI will be advanced enough to essentially write the, its own code right? And we could kind of communicate with it. Like right now we communicate with it in a very detailed way where we type out each unique instruction. But I feel like since the beginning of computing, it's gotten easier and easier and easier to program systems from like low level programming. Like if you look at quantum computing right now, it's really only, you know, quantum computing experts that are doing it for like quantum mathematical problems and things like that, but it'll eventually get to the point where there's enough layers upon layers to where, you know, people, more and more people can write more and more software. I'm just curious, like, how do you think about that? Or do you think about that at all? I do. I mean, I think about software development in the sense that um, software development has changed. You used to write a lot of low level code to kind of build your app, right? And look, the, the name of the game now is much more, you're a system integrator, right? Like you have a service, right? Like you, you need a NLP service to do some natural language processing. You don't build that, like you get it, right? You know, TensorFlow or, you know, you need an auth service. You don't build it. Like, you know how many engineers I've talked to who like one of their first jobs was like building an auth, uh, authorization service. Like you don't build that anymore, right? And so really the, the job to be done in software engineering is really about like, how do you be smart about using pre-built components and how you put it together is the sausage making that special and how you turn it into something valuable. And look at, at Andela, we have a broad spectrum of needs across our business. And like, it's not just building like core IP, but it's also like there's commercial tools we can use. So we have to be very pragmatic to say, Hey, look, we're going to go buy that. It may only solve 80% of the requirements, but it's good enough. And then we can stitch it together with our core IP that we're building as well as other systems. And it's how we integrate those as well. That becomes part of our special sauce again. And so I think the job of software is much more of a system integration play these days. And then in terms of the future, you know, you're going to take advantage of more and more of this. And then you're also going to take advantage of more sophistication and, that sophistication is going to be data, how to use data in really interesting ways. And, you know, I mean, the topic of AI and things like that are always interesting. There's lots of uh, things you can think about. And look, in our world, like one of the things that we're, we're thinking about in terms of using things like artificial intelligence and, and machine learning is just the idea of how do you match that talent with the opportunity in the best possible way, right? So, if we, and it really is a journey where you crawl, walk and run, right? So like really it's starting with like, we need structured data about the engineer or the talent. We need structured data about the requirements. And then we can use classification to make a recommendation. We can say, hey, look, here's a good match, right? But how do you make that smarter, right? And then you start to, you make that smarter with more data, right? Like, hey, what if, uh, what if you're, uh, if you're looking, Joel, for some engineers to add to your team that you mentioned, right? And what if we knew some more about, you know, what type of team you ran and what are some of the, 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 the team skills you're looking for as well, that could drive up the match and make the recommendation better, right? So if we presented you with three, right? 
And then in the future, how, how could we say, hey, look, we know something about these engineers because they've worked with us or worked through Andela in over, over a span of time and we have some sense of performance so that when we serve you up three recommended engineers, we can say, hey, we think this one's the best based on past performance and linking that together. So it's the cycle of feeding more and more data into like this smart match. And so like that's an area where we will go much deeper in terms of uh, trying to make the best fit of like the talent available to the needs of the, the customer. And, and that's a space that we're thinking a lot about is this idea of intelligent matching uh, as we involve Andela. You could go recruit some of the uh, match.com engineers. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I mean, when I, when I describe kind of some of the things we're building to, you know, either my wife or, you know, like some family, they're like, Oh, you're building match.com for engineers. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. And they're smart too. I didn't realize, uh, I was doing some research in match group. I think that that's who they are. They own like a lot of the different dating and connection type technologies. I think they own like Tinder and a bunch of the other ones, but that was always fascinating to me about, you know, wherever there's money, uh, to solve a problem, you're going to get like some of the best solutions possible. And in that world, there is a ton of money to solve this matching problem. So they are probably very adept at matching. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So Starlink, right? We're, we're both kind of geeky. I'm sure you're aware of that. They're putting satellites into near Earth orbit. And I was just curious, you know, they have, I think it was like 2021, they, they want like global high speed coverage. Do you think that's going to be really useful for Africa or is internet already like widely available? It's a great question. No, I mean, one, one of the things, one of the reasons why Andela invested a lot in physical infrastructure in the early days and had great corporate centers is just the physical infrastructure wasn't mature enough, right? You know, we were talking about Lagos earlier. You needed a, you needed a place to have internet, but you also needed power because power goes out, right? And so you know, you have a generator and a backup generator. And so, so the infrastructure wasn't quite there. It's really changed a lot in recent years, but in the rural spaces, yes. But what I would say is like, it's Africa and, and the countries that make it up, it's much more of a mobile first type play. And like, you think, take banking, for instance, like there's a, there's a, there's Safaricom in East Africa who has a property called M-Pesa and it's mobile banking. And it's 10 years ahead of what we're doing with Apple Pay and, and, and other uh, kind of mobile banking solutions. And like, it's really disintermediated the need to like go to a bank or like to take a loan or it's like how you, it's, it's how business is conducted and it's pervasive. It's everywhere. And so look, there is, network coverage through kind of mobile and like and uh and so that's uh that's what they're really relying on but i think there is a there is a place to to bring bring broadband much more much more around as well as reliable power as well it's not just that it's uh it's the combination right you talk you know you have conversations with a bunch of african engineers they have not just their isp at home and a router but they have a phone they have a backup phone they have a battery uh, a battery pack, you know, so that you just can maintain connectivity. I love it. Yeah. And they, they want to set their, themselves up for success, right? With backup right. systems and resilience. Now, so I was, I was wondering, I don't expect you to have this statistic, but it just kind of popped into my head about the percentage of software developers or professionals that are like in contract groups or marketplaces versus full-time employees. Do you know the the split there, the ratio? I don't. That's a great question. It's probably something I should know. Um, but I would say that, you know, look, there's a lot of marketplaces out there and they're all a little bit different, right? You know, there's, there's, there's the gig economy, there's freelancer and Upwork and there's Toptown, there's Fiverr. There's lots of them out there to support kind of the gig economy. What Andela has realized, and, and look, this really resonates with me as the leader of an engineering team is, look, I'm not really interested. Look, I may be interested in someone coming in to work for me for three to four months because I have a specialized skill that, uh, that I just can't fill and like it can help me on some specialization. But, but there's so much in getting an engineer up to speed on your stack. You know this, right? Like that, you know, you have to invest a lot. And like the last thing you want them to do is to walk away, right? And so like Andela is really focused on the long-term play. We're trying to get our engineers employed for 18 months, two years, because 
that's what our customers actually want. When they see attrition, like they're like, that's a problem. I don't want, like, I've just invested all in this learning curve. Like I don't want them to walk away. And so like, we're really trying to offer long-term opportunity and to be the long-term place of employment versus like a more of a gig play for like, you know, a designer or a videographer that is like a jobs based uh, marketplace. And, and so we're, we're thinking differently. And so like, how do you build stickiness with the engineer? How do you build stickiness with the customer as well? But that's, we're thinking a, a different way around the marketplace, if you will, the talent marketplace. Yeah. And you serve companies that, well, I mean, you, you serve the Zebra and they were under 500 employees when I talked to him a few years ago. So you serve a wide, a wide range of customers. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we, everything from uh, GitHub to the BBC to Envision, you know, there's a lot of different companies and what we're seeing in terms of our, the demand side of our marketplace is we're starting to hit more mid-market, more larger customers. You know, we've been talking to big banks who want more diversity, more types of skill, um, who maybe want a presence on the continent. And like, we know the talent in Africa better than almost anybody because we've been there for six years. Have you gotten to work with Jason Warner over at GitHub? Uh, Yeah, the team knows him. I haven't personally. Oh, he's an awesome person. I just had him on the show, I think like last week but nice. he's, uh, he's becoming one of my favorite people. <laughs> nice. Nice. I know he was, uh, he was quite a hit when he visited us in, in Lagos. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting. Was there a parade? Look, we've had some, we've had, uh, we've had a bunch of people like visit Andela, Lagos, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey. Like th- there's uh there's kind of a joke. There's someone on my team who's a product manager who's like in a photo with like, one of these famous people we just did a little bit of a trivia like a kind of a more of a just a bonding thing last week and we played kind of family feud and i think the question is who who's who's who has the most pictures with the most famous people at the office and (laughs) it was this woman faye but yeah so faye won she won it she's in like she's got a lot of famous people there's like pictures with al gore there's pictures with jack dorsey you know we have we have some pretty famous investors like al gore and and uh, Serena Williams is an investor as well. She hasn't visited us, but yeah, it's fun. Come on, Serena, step it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you do some some mentoring and, and advising. You mentioned Techstars earlier, but also it looks like you do some stuff with this company called Woo Sports. I was just curious, how did you get involved with the advising role? Yeah, I think it's, um, look, at some point in your career, you start to realize, hey, like, I've acquired some knowledge and like, can, can I give back? And I think when you break it down, when you ask people who do mentor, like there's just as much in it for them for a lot of times as there is in the, the receiver of, of say the mentee, right? Cause you're, you're getting to share and teach and, and that can be really rewarding. And so I got involved with uh, woo. I got involved with some other companies through TechStars, and you know, it was a lot of young companies that were just trying to navigate some things that felt like, hey, I've learned these lessons the hard way. They're they're kind of like all institutionalized in my head, but like, you know, what's the best way to run a backlog, right? Or, you know, how do you prioritize, you know, your backlog? Or how can I find the best engineer for, for this role? Or, you know, I was working with one company that uh, I was brought in and and they were like, hey, we built this app this app was, uh, it was probably more like a sexting app than anything, but this person thought they were going to change the world. It was a high net worth individual. And it was an app that basically, when you shared a video, when you showed a video on your phone to someone, it used face recognition to say, hey, is this you, Joel? If it is, I'll show you the video. If it's not, I'll shut it off, right? So it was like sort of a privacy thing. And they literally spent $250,000 billion thing. And I was, I, I, I was asked, you know, it was a contact made an introduction and like, Hey, can you help these guys? They're trying to find product market fit. And I started, I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I, I was like, I'll help you guys. Um, I'll, I'll help you guys validate what you're doing. And so like I started demoing it. I'm like, look, the, there was latency in the system. It was terrible experience. I was like, I'm going to just build a landing page with that characterizes the value prop and what this thing does. And like, that is so telling. It was just like this lesson of like, or reminder that like, you don't need to build anything to validate your idea, right? Like I got some free landing page software, built a landing page. And I went and talked to 20 people and like, 
This is what we learned. You didn't need to build anything. You didn't need to spend dime one to like see if your idea was any good. I don't know what happened to that company. I think it's probably in receivership, but <laughs> uh, but it, it, my point is that's just an illustration of like you learn a bunch of lessons in your career and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's rewarding to, to share those with people. At least it is for me. What are some of the cool companies that you see that are early stage right now? Right now? Um, well, I would look at it from a bunch of different angles. Um, you know, there are some things that, I'm thinking about maybe just from like the tooling stack for the IP that we're building here at Andela. Like, but QA has always been a problematic area because a lot of times it's manual. So there's a company called Prod Perfect that we're using, and what I like about their technology is they use some some learning algorithms to understand what are the what are the most traversed paths through your software. Um, so like say you got an app and you got to figure out, hey, what is the automation suite I need to build for this app? And look, I've done this at my in past companies, two companies ago. We just started building automation as we built the product. I wasn't running the product, the engineering team at the time. I was, but I was like, what are we doing? Like, we don't even know if this product is going to work or if the UI is the right thing. But like they were building the automation suite as the app was being built. And like, and you know, you had to pivot invariably. And so there's all this time building automated software. Well, Prod Perfect will actually analyze what are your users actually doing with your with your app. And then it will suggest, hey, here are the here are the um, here are the test cases you should build into your automation suite. And then they help you build the automation suite. And then you put it into your CI pipeline to uh, to as you build as you write code, they get run. So like I think it's a it's an innovative take on sort of an old problem of like how do you ensure quality assurance and like that's that's something innovative in the uh, or a startup I like in the in the sort of tooling stack. There's other tools that we've been using more and more, and you know I wouldn't I'm not sure if I'd characterize them as startups, but like there's some cool co- tools that we've started to use more as we've gone remote, like Loom for video, right? Like it's just easy to like record a video. Like sometimes you get sick of writing uh, being remote, or like you know we used to have in-person design reviews with our designers, and like. Well, we're all remote now. So now the designers record a little Loom video, they share it out, we get some comments on it, and it's just like an easy little add-on uh, and a way to collaborate. Or we've been using Miro a lot more. Miro is a tool that we use to kind of replace the virtual whiteboard. And, you know, a lot more people are using it. It's very collaborative. And so some of these companies are interesting to me because they replace a set of tooling that, or processes that you might have done like in an in-person setting. And so they're, they're helping us be efficient as a remote first organization now. I would say there's a couple other companies that I like as well, but you know, I could go on and on and on. So I, I can stop there, but you know, there's, there's other things to support the remote worker that, that are interesting to me as well, but I'll stop there. Cause there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting. Yeah. I've got questions for you now. Uh, sure. Can you spell the virtual whiteboard company, Marrow? Miro, M-I-R-O. Miro, okay, got it. I've actually been looking for like a virtual whiteboard type solution. And yeah. uh, I've asked a number of people and I haven't gotten anyone to be like, oh, this is the one I love. So I'm happy a about lot that. Of, a lot of people have tried to solve the problem. I mean, Zoom has a whiteboard, you know, all these collaboration tools have it. You know, there is a, there's sort of even just uh, Google in your Google apps stack, you know, there's a, there's a tool for whiteboarding. I mean, to be quite honest, like I resort to like writing things down on paper and then like, you know, showing it to you, right? Like that's, Hey, what's wrong with a paper prototype. Right. But like, uh, this is one that we've found to kind of stick, uh, here at Andela with more and more people, this Miro company. And then do you have some sort of surface that you buy with it or do you just use your mouse? You just use your mouse. It's nice. not like, it's not great for free hands. It's a little bit more of like a lot of post-it notes and some collaboration around it. In your role as an advisor, what's a pattern that you're seeing across these early stage companies, like with their, with the founders and as far as leadership and insight and advice? Yeah. Um, I've been advising one company that is trying to disrupt kind of the, the space around how you do appraisals for mortgages and like, you're like, wow, is that a problem to be solved? And it's a very real problem. And cause it's very antique, very, um, sort of old antiquated. school, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, antiquated. Yeah. It's paper-based. Right. Um, 
And, you know, one of the things that was being asked of me is like, hey, look, I need help with engineering. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a founder engineer and I need help with engineering. And I'm like, I'm not sure what I, what I need. Um, and it was sort of like, look, it, the, the, the decision tree that we went down was, hey, do you feel like your architecture is in a solid place? And if the answer is yes, then what you need for an engineering leader is someone who can really drive process and build build the teams, right? Because you're probably a little bit chaotic as a founder, as a founder, and you don't have all those processes in place. And you know, do you have a good CI? You know, good build pipeline? Do you have good, you know, the right level of ceremony for you know Scrum if you're doing Scrum? And then you know, if the answer was uh, no, then you need sort of more of a hard tech architect type to lead your engineering teams to get that, you know, to get the foundations in place and have the standards and, and the right kind of coding. So like, that's a piece of advice that I've been giving or like questions I've been asked. I've also been asked questions about like, Hey, look, we have a bunch of customers and they all have enhancement requests. They all have like, they have a lot of asks, right. And like, how do I manage that? And Look, the piece of advice there is like, don't be beholden to one company because if you do, you're going to go and and create something specific for them that might not address the rest of the market that you want to go capture. And so like really your job to do there is get a really strong point of view on vision and like have a great deck that shows where you're going, like robust mock-ups, like a great story, like you know, a lot of, a lot of like uh, doing a roadmap presentation really well is storytelling. Like what is the problem you're solving? Who are you solving for? Like related to a story that someone in the audience may have uh, understands or lives and really have that really honed because, you know, my experience as you sell to bigger and bigger companies is like, look, they're buying on the promise of execution as well as what you can do today. And so if you can really, uh, have a great vision and you can articulate and you can show it with pictures, right? Not just the story. Words don't mean anything to anyone. They need to kind of see it so that they can internalize it. And and then you can get people on the hook and it, get, it creates some space so that you can go execute on the most important backlog uh, and helps mitigate like losing that customer because like you didn't deliver their enhancement today, right? Like if you told me, hey, I know you need this enhancement tomorrow, but look, it's in my vision and we're going to get to it in six months or a year. Like I'm a lot more apt to like work with you than if you just be like, no, I can't do it. Right. Like, so if you have a great story to tell and you can back it up with, you know, validation and, and, and mock-ups and stuff that, that really helps create some space for that early stage uh, company that that's trying to address and capture market. No, I'm glad you, you said it the way you did because you know, as an early stage tech founder, you can get into that mode where you're just constantly eating, breathing and sleeping. So the idea of one new extra feature to add the backlog because the customer wants it is you just kind of want to sharply shut it down or push it off or, and and then how you respond is so critical, you know, in the early stages, how you make your customers feel. And like you said, having a strong vision. So I really, I really like the way that you articulated that. Yeah. Thanks. It's a, it's a real problem and it's super difficult because that is the natural reaction is just to be like, no, we got to shut that down or we'll put it way off or in, in the focus is all on the more work that you have to do, right. Or the yeah. more stress being added right. to the team and you have to step away from that, assume the customer perspective and you have to say like, how do I build this relationship with this individual so that we can keep them as a customer, Absolutely. <laughs> make them happy. Yeah. yeah. And still, still have success. Yeah. Or if you say yes to the enhancement, you'll be like, you're going to under deliver because you already got a mountain of stuff to do anyway, and they're going to get upset or you're going to go deliver it. And then all your other customers will suffer. So yeah. How, how can you create space to, to deliver what's most important in front of you is kind of the thought. What's some of the best leadership advice that you've ever received? Oh, that's a good one. I think some of the some of the leadership advice that I've received that's been useful, if it's very personalized, uh, if people know you well, if they understand your st- style and your blind spots, and like I've had some people say, "Hey, look, you don't have to defend 
it's clear you're the expert, right? And like, it's someone pointing out the blind spot of, of, of me where like when, when I'm under the pressure, right? Under the screws are being put to me. Like my natural reaction is to defend. And he's like, look, you know, this stuff, like, you don't, you don't need to, you don't, you don't, you don't need to defend, like show where you're going and like, get out above that. And it was good advice. Like, and I think, I think the, I think the lesson here from a leadership perspective is you may have a great point of view of what you think you're doing, but talk to other people who can really help you see it. Right. Cause like you may be doing the same thing every day, day in and day out. And you think it's the hundred percent, the best way to do it, the right way to do it, but like you don't have perspective. So be open to feedback and like seek it out. Right. Like, Hey, how could I be better? What are my blind spots? Like, and, uh, and you'll be surprised at what you might hear. Like that was an example of like what I heard when it's like, Hey, Oh, okay. You're like in defend, defend mode and people are just hearing you trying to protect something versus trying to to build something. Right. And so it was a, it was a good piece of advice, but the, the, the Uber advice here is like, seek out other people and how they react to it or, or like what their interpretation of you is and how you're doing. Yeah. I like, I like that. The, and also like to, to add to the defensive thing, you know, I've had people tell me, uh, you know, that I was being defensive and inside I was like, well, that's not where my heart is, or that's not what I feel like I'm doing right now. Right. And then that creates this awareness of, okay, however I'm perceived externally, whatever, you know, voice tone I'm using, body posture I have, there's something that I'm doing that's making people think I'm defensive about this. And, and then that brought some awareness to, you know, how I was communicating and that was something that happened a couple of years ago that was, that was very useful for me. So as, as we start to wrap up here, um, is there anything that we didn't cover or talk about that we want to put out there to the world? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, look, there's a question of like, why, why did Andela move into Africa? And I think, look, it was a early mover advantage. Like they, the, the founders saw potential and they saw, look, it's the youngest continent in the world. It's the fastest growing internet. Eight of the seven of the 10 fastest growing internet economies are in Africa. Uh, you know, I mentioned how Nigeria will be the third most populous uh, country. There are very real emerging tech hubs like Nairobi or Lagos or Cape Town or uh, Kampala, Uganda or Kigali. Like, and so um, there is technology on the continent and there's just a real hustle. Like I mentioned, like people having because there's resiliency, right? Like if you're in Lagos and you need power, like, you know, someone who, who I, I spent a bunch of time with was like, look, I think we're, I think we're better problem solvers. I'm like, what? that's a little bit like a, of an opinionated thing to say. Like, yeah, but I have to like, if I'm trying to get like a couch home to my house, I have to think about like how I'm going to get it there. What if that car breaks down? What if I can't take, what if I need to put it on public transportation to get it part of this way? How do I get it in my house? What if there's no lights? Like he's like, I'm at like 10th order problem solving. I'm like, all right, well, you have a point, but the, 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 I think it's just indicative of that. There's a real hustle. They're smart, motivated, eager people. I lived in Africa for two years and I saw it every day. People want a better life and they're going to work really hard to get there. Uh, and they have an awareness and like, you know, there's something geopolitical happening as well. Like they don't have a government necessarily that they believe in or rely on. So they like, it's on me to figure out my better life. I'm not going to wait for, you know, a social security program to to solve it for me. And so, you know, I used to be part of like lunchtime conversations where engineers be like, I got to be the next Google billionaire because, and like invent the next Google, because this is how I'm going to save Kenya. It's not going to be our, our, our politicians. <laughs> so it's like just an interesting point of view. Like I have to get rich so that I can save my country. <laughs> I love it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's the type of person I am. I mean, I just, I want to improve and grow because it's difficult, but it's also fun. And then you get that feeling of pride in yourself and in the work you do after you accomplish something really difficult. So that yeah. energy of Africa is something that I've heard more than once from all these different sources. And so it's definitely on my list of places to go explore and visit after the, the world 
opens up a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm happy to give you some advice on what, what to check out and do. But that's a little bit of why Africa um, for, you know, and, and kind of why Andela got started there. And if people want to use Andela services, if they're interested, they want to go through yeah. the, the exploration process, how do they learn more? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, Andela is trying to be the easy button for engineering leaders who are looking to build their teams, right? Like, I talked to a CTO who was like, I'm trying to hire a contractor in Taiwan, but I'm a fintech and I need to do background checks. He's like, it took me six months to figure out how to do a background check in Taiwan. Like, Andela solves all that problem. We know how to operate in these locations. We know how to pay people. We know how to get them, you know, great internet so that they can deliver for you. So like we, we solve a bunch of those problems. And so as you think about building your teams, I would just say consider Andela as a way to augment and grow quickly to get the right talent you need at the right time. I would say, look, there's also this idea of bringing some diversity into your teams that are, that is useful in different perspectives. Some, you know, if you're thinking about sort of around the sun development, but we do guarantee overlap hours to your working day because we understand business continuity is key. And just as you think about the equation of like, you have so much budget, like, how do you want to spend it? Like, we can give you some variability to that. Like you can dial it up, you can dial it down. Um, you can think and take advantage of compensate, you know, what you need to pay in different locations. Um, and, you know, I think the quality is there. Like we know that like you're, you may feel good about like working with Andela because we help connect really bright people to opportunities they've never had before. That's nice. But like you're an engineering leader who has to get a job done. Right. And so we live and die on like the quality of our engineers and they deliver. And like, we have teams of 30 people at, you know, big companies around the world. So, you know, it's uh, it's just something to consider as you build out. It's an option, right? Like, like I said, why did I come to Andela? Cause like building a team is a problem and it's hard. And, you know, it, I wanted to look at some other ways to help build that team. Boom. That's a mic drop, right? Nice. Nice. Not awesome. a supersonic jet explosion. <laughs> <laughs> How funny is that? They literally named it Boom. They named it Boom. I it, No joke, this morning I woke up and one of the first things I do is check this newsletter called TLDR because it's just about tech. There's no like politics or anything in there. And it was like, oh, new supersonic jet, boom, you know, <laughs> unveils 26 passenger thing. And I just, I just said, what? And I clicked on it and it's got the word boom on the side of it. And I just said, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure I want to fly on that. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know how that, I mean, I got it instantly because I'm a geek, right? I was like, oh, they named it boom because they're breaking the sound barrier, right? right? But I just thought that there's, I was like, there's got to be better, better names. Yeah. <laughs> More geeky, better names. Yeah, it's better. But David, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah. I'd love to have you on next year. We catch up, learn more about what's going on. Uh, awesome. I just wanted to say thank you so much. It was a real, real fun time today. Yeah. Joel, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hopefully it was useful. Hopefully it was a useful conversation. And, it was uh, super useful. You gave some amazing advice that we're going to clip out. I really like the the startup advice. I think our your that is our mission over here is, you know, to educate, entertain, elevate, help the next generation of, yeah. of tech leaders. And and that insight that you gave, uh, I, I was like, yes, keep going, preach, preach, preach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to clip that out and people, that's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much, nice. David. I really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Talk soon. All right. See you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.